Let's get this going. All right. Uh, I have, well, let's, uh, let's start with some business. Let's go first. Uh, Carol Tonys, you have the floor. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Uh, just to let you know, the garden club thinned out their irises at the parsonage. There's a box, a couple boxes of them, the uh, tubers uh, under the bench, or the bench on the common area there, outside, along the wall. If you need some irises for your garden, help yourself. This is an uh, announcement also to the folks at home who aren't here about the flowers. That's right. So that's good. Who, uh, who are listening in yellow. over the... Uh, they're all yellow. That's right. Um, let's start with a prayer. Know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Matthew 9. Almighty and merciful God, for your mercy's sake, keep far from us all that opposes you, that unhindered in body and soul we may serve you with hearts set free. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. I thought this was such a beautiful prayer, and I did not pick it. It's just the week that we're in, in the one-year lectionary, with hearts set free. Free. In the letter that we're looking at, Peter does talk about freedom. Using your freedom to do good. And uh, we're going to touch upon that a little today. So this was a, uh, this was a good prayer. We're going to continue with last week's handout as well. And I will tell you what I gave you. The other handout that's going out, the two pages that's uh, front and back, stapled on top. And then this is the one from last week. And so you let me know. I have a few copies here of the one from last week. And uh, you let me know if you have it. It's the one that says Session 4, 1 Peter 2, 1 to 12. That's the one. Thank you. Yeah. Please. I have a few copies here. And uh, all we're going to do today is a little bit of review of this sheet, but also of, this is the one from last week. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, all right. All right. Yeah. And uh, what we will finish up is the two last sections, section three and section four of this sheet. I have one more here. It says session four, First okay, Peter two one to twelve. Yeah, let me grab my copy here. All right. We talked a lot last week about a lot of things. So if we look at the, let me orient my mind here. Let me talk about what I just gave you first. This is just supposed to be helpful. I don't plan on reading word for word what is on this double, two pages, double sided, but I'll tell you exactly what it is and the fact that it is interesting. I'm telling you it's interesting. <laughs> so this is from a book called, a, a book series called Ancient Christian Commentaries. And I did not 
write that name anywhere, but I'm letting you know. And if you um, want to look at them, come up to my office. I think Pastor Bruzek has some. I have some. They were gifted to me. And it's a set of biblical commentaries based on what the ancient church said about Holy Scripture. So like any other commentary, it's a whole set from Genesis to Revelation and what the early church said about these texts. It is uh, very helpful because some of these commentaries are 1,500 years old, or 1,600 years old, or 1,000 years old. Uh, they try to stay fairly early, so obviously you're not going to get any Luther, but you'll get Augustine, you'll get Origen, so you'll see here. So what I printed out for you, for fun, is the overview to chapter 2. So if you'll see on the first page, it's the beginning of chapter 2. Chapter 2, verses 1 till, uh, to 10. So it's printed out there. On the bottom where it says overview, it's exactly what that is. It's an overview of those first 10 verses based on what the early church wrote. And so it goes to page 83, right? The first page is page 82, and it goes to page 83, and it ends uh, on the second column. And then actually you start getting more detailed commentary on the second column. For example, it says 2, verse 1, to turn away from evil. So I stop there. I just copy the overview. On the second page is just the continuation of the second overview of verses 11 to 25. What does the early church say about those verses? What does the overview say? So it's just, uh, it starts at the bottom there, page 89, and it goes to page 90 on the back. An amazing thing is that uh, I have not, in this class, really actively used the early church fathers, mothers, to talk about 1 Peter. We just use how... I mean, I've used interpretations of some texts, but also the church's interpretation, how we interpret texts today. We are not very far from what these men and women are saying at all. So you should not read this and say, my goodness, look how differently they interpreted Scripture. If they did, that would be bad news for us because that means we're off track. In fact, you might even say, huh, this sounds really boring. I wish they said some really new and exciting stuff. It's like, well, usually if something's new and exciting in theology, maybe run the other way. Because that's not the point. The point is we all say one thing. The church has said one thing. And that's why I gave this to you for you to see that the church has been saying one thing about, for example, in this case, the first letter of Peter, the second chapter. I have the first chapter, I have the, second, the third and fourth and fifth chapters, and if you are interested in that, I can certainly bring those uh, next time. But I just did the second chapter because that's what we're talking about yesterday, not yesterday, last week, today, next week, second chapter. What this does help us with is just giving new words to talk about same ideas. So it's not new ideas, it's just rephrasing things. There are only so many ways to skin a cat, right? 
that phrase. So there are not too many ways to skin a cat, but there are a couple of ways, and it's the same cat, it's the same skin, but has anybody skinned a cat in this room? I have not. I've seen other animals being butchered, but not a cat. Sorry to conjure that idea in your mind. I repent of that. <laughs> hey, hey, I learned that phrase from you guys. We don't say that in Portuguese. <laughs> we might say other things. All right, so that's what that is. It's the Christian commentary series, ancient Christian commentary series. That word ancient is key because these are the ancient uh, church fathers and mothers commenting on these texts. We might look at them here and again, but I wanted to leave that with you for your own reading. We might look at it. We might not today. But I wanted you to have that with you to see, wow, we're saying the same things. We're realizing the same things. We're on the same path as these men and women were 1,600 years ago, 1,800 years ago. Um, so I think that's really cool, very, very cool. We left off last week talking about the backside of the handout, where we said, oh yeah, what are the two huge images that we talked about last week? Two big, 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 big images that we talked about last week. Images, actually, not like, like pictures like that Peter uses. Did you say one is milk? Yeah, we born babies and milk. Oh, babies, right. I was just thinking of two of them, but babies, yeah. Babies, milk, and what's the other one? Stones. That's right. Oh, that says Nick. And we had an extensive conversation about these, specifically this two, these two, milk and stones, and I thought that was very, very, very helpful. That's one of the best discussions I've had in a Bible study ever, uh, was talking about milk and stone that come one right after the other. Long for spiritual milk, if you indeed know that the Lord is good, if you indeed have tasted, excuse me, that the Lord is good, and be stones as the living stone immediately in the, the next verse. And I thought that's very beautiful. Then we talked about what does a house, what is a spiritual house made of stone? All of that is like a nightmare for a children's message, right? Because you're trying to explain these very uh, not concrete things, no pun intended, to little kids. And now here we are trying to chew on all, what all of this means. Let's look at the actual what the text says. If you have it open there, 1 Peter, just so we know exactly. I don't want to spend too, too much time on this because we talked about it last week, but I want to know where we're going, what the next step is. So, second, uh, uh, 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse For, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, so now Jesus is being called a stone, the stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, 
you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. So we have living and spiritual. Living stones, spiritual house. Not living stone, living stoneness, because we need a lot of stones to build one house. To be holy priesthood, spiritual sacrifices through Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. You are honorable. Because those who don't believe, the stone that the builder has rejected has actually become a cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. There's a lot going on there. Two images. The stone, the Jesus stone. Then you have us as living stones. But then you have us as believers in the stone. And you have those who do not believe on the stone and who trip over the stone. And as Jesus says a couple of weeks ago in the gospel, are crushed by the stone. What does, and this is what we rushed through last week, and, I sort of, and that's why I wanted to bring it up again. And now we're on the top of the back side of the sheet that says, in point three, what does a spiritual house look like? There's really no other place in the scripture, as far as I know, that talks about this in these words. Living stones building a spiritual house. So it can be very, what's the word I'm trying to say? Something is opposite of concrete. Very, say again? Not vague. Abstract. Who gets the star today? That's right, abstract. It sounds very abstract, and in fact, I think it is. So we have to figure out exactly what this spiritual house is. Um, in fact, that could be a name of a church, Spiritual House Lutheran Church. Right? What does that actually look like? Carol? Oh, for one thing, I would say we're not doing the building. We are being built. Come to him. Yeah. For you yourselves, live living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. We're not doing building. It's passive. It's being done to us. Passive. That's the key word. Milena and I were listening to the catechumenate the other day, for we were in a wedding this past weekend, so we couldn't attend. But what's another big passive verb in, uh, in Scripture? Something that's done to us. Big important thing. Big important thing that we do as to enter the church. I, there's a, uh, there's some people I know who love to say, I baptized myself on August 20-something, blah, 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 blah. It's just, they make that verb into a reflexive. 
I did this to myself. And just like Paul says, you were baptized into Christ, Peter is now saying, you are being built. You're not building yourselves. You are being built into this spiritual house. So my argument that I'm using is to use this word spiritual house, I said, how about we look at the fruit of the Spirit? I don't think that Peter or Jesus would disagree that these are good, that this is a good recipe for a house, a spiritual house. How about a little bit of love, a little bit more joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Imagine a house that runs on these terms. Imagine a house that is built upon these blocks. blocks. Yeah, right. Uh, with Jesus as the make it or break it cornerstone. That's what everything's building up on top. How about a house made of that? Love, joy, peace. That sounds beautiful. I love it. And that's the church. That's the church and no other way around it. The spiritual house is the church. I mean, we just need to be upfront with that. You're building this. If you're all together and it's built upon Christ, what's the famous hymn? Built on the rock, the shall stand, even when steeples are falling. That's right. Built on the church, built on the rock, the church shall stand. Yeah. Um, all this should be coming together. Peter's talking about the church here very clearly. So, he told us, this is who you are. I named the second part here, actually part three, sorry. Who am I? Because Peter's the whole time been talking about who you are, who you are, who you are, who you are, including just now. I think right now is like the epitome of who you are in this letter. Personal opinion, but this is where he takes his gloves off and he says, you want to know who you actually are? Here we go. I'm going to tell you. And if you're sleeping, now you're going to be awake because these are just so powerful words. So I wrote here, well, forget what I wrote. Let's, let's, uh, let's actually look at what it said. So we have to get the end of verse 8 so we can understand what that but in verse 9 says. Why is there a but in verse 9? Why doesn't it just start with, you are a chosen race? It says, but you, you are a chosen race. They stumble because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. There were people, and he's probably talking about the Jews who did not believe Jesus. Remember? All that Holy Week. All of those Pharisees that were supposed to believe in him, and because they were so Pharisaical, they said, this guy is not one of us. He doesn't come with the message we want to hear. Just like 
what happened in the Old Testament. This prophet doesn't, is not telling us the news we want. They were destined to disobey. If that's the stance you're going to have, forget it. They were destined to disobey. But you, now here you go, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. And there's more. Once, you were not a people. But now, you are God's people. Once, you hadn't received mercy. But now, you have received mercy. Wow. Wonderful. At verse 9 and 10, for me, it's like my John 3.16. Is this are these two verses. Who are the people who did not believe that I just said? Jesus came, rubbed elbows with these people for all the time he was on earth, and they said, no thanks. Who are those people that we just said? Scribes and Pharisees. Scribes and Pharisees. These are pretty important people, right? I don't know, that was a pretty easy question. <laughs> but we'll talk later. <laughs> Original cho- they were the original chosen, right? The original chosen. Now look how he talks. Look who disobeyed Jesus, and now look who you are. You've got to fill in these gaps. These people are smart, and we're smart. So now it's you who are the chosen race. Not those guys who disbelieved anymore. They had every, the ball was in their court to believe. They had everything. They had their traditions. They had the beauty. They had the temple. They had everything for them to be wonderful Christians, little Christs. But they disobeyed. But now you are the chosen race. Remember, they were the chosen race. But now you are the chosen race. The royal priesthood. Why is that word so important? Royal priesthood. That actually, both words. Who are these people waiting for? Who are the, uh, who are the Jews waiting for? <coughs> who is the Messiah? The descendant of? David. The king, David. That's right. Guess what? You're royal now. And what does priesthood have to do with anything? Priest pretty important in the Old Testament? Praying. I'm the one that's taking the prayers. I'm the big I'm a pretty big deal. I take the prayers. And what I'm saying is the priest in the Old Testament could or couldn't have said, I'm the big deal. That's not what I'm saying. Levites, they knew that they weren't the big deal in terms of I made myself the big deal. What I'm saying is, hey, I'm a pretty big deal because God has made me a pretty big deal. We were anointed by the Holy Spirit. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We're in all the Christians. Mm-hmm. So now Peter's saying, you are the royal priesthood. And then what's the third category? Holy nation. A holy nation. 
What is supposed to be the holy nation? Israel. That's the holy nation. All over the Old Testament we see that. But now Jesus is saying, no, no, no. You are the holy nation. Anybody who's baptized, maybe. Anybody who's baptized. That's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So who is, who are the listeners here? Remember, now we have to go back all the way to chapter 1. Who's listening to this being read in the congregation? Well, the church, of course. But who's making up the church? Who did, what did we decide on here? What do these people look like? Greeks and Jews. Gentiles and Jews. And they might or might not have been sitting apart. Or if they were sitting together, they might have been eyeing the other one saying, hmm, is this guy really in? He doesn't have the same background as me. But now all that doesn't matter anymore. Because he's talking you plural. You all are the holy nation, the chosen race, the royal priesthood. A people for his own possession. Like we have to take that in. You are God's. God possesses you. You might have been a person that didn't feel possessed by anybody. From God to your friends and family, to your community. You're an outcast. But now Peter is saying, you are a people of his own possession. That's so beautiful. Yeah. Do they realize then that they're all one? If they're sitting Jews and Gentiles together, do they get it? They have to. They have to get it. Simply because, and this is what's so important, this is what I think a lot of churches miss. And we are very good at in, in the Lutheran church and other churches that still have this. The liturgy and the importance of baptism and the importance of the supper. Nobody's left out. You're a Jew, you get this baptism. You're a Gentile, you get the same baptism. You get that same bread and body. You get that same cup. There's no two cups. So everything we do shows a unification. We're in the same building. We are being forgiven by the same priest. We are walking through the same doors. Do they get it? I don't know. But everything points that way. From the words that are being spoken by Peter and written down to what actually the church looked like. There isn't a separate bath for Jews to be baptized in and then another one for Gentiles to be baptized in. There isn't. It's one. Where do the Pharisees go? Well, what do you mean? Like Pharisees who believed in Jesus or what? The ones that didn't. I mean, did they hang around? Did they come back? Did they? I'm not sure I know what you're asking, Jody. Well, the ones that didn't believe. Yes. They just were they all were they together and they. Just... Oh, absolutely not, because there wouldn't be many Pharisees here in this situation. 
Because, right, if we look at the map here, this is, uh, we're talking about the people that are living right here. Okay. And uh, in the middle, in the yellow area, remember that map that I keep bringing up? Um, and the Pharisees, we know, are mostly here because that's where the hub is. Right? That's where the power is. I'm not going to go to some backcountry place and be a Pharisee there. Of course there probably are. Right? There are Jews who do not believe, who don't attend that uh, meeting. But they're not going to be in this, for sure, because there are Gentiles in there. Oh, so they wouldn't. Of course not. I'm going to be dirty if I go into this place. That's right, but his teacher was in Jerusalem, all right? So he hung out. Hey, he knew. He knew where to go. You know, he knew where uh, Harvard and Princeton were. Um, all right. So, what is the big thing that you have learned, not from me, but from somebody else in this church, that is the one story in Scripture? Scripture only has one story. God wants all his people home. God wants all his people home, and you were. You were dead. And now you're. Home. Exactly. If this verse isn't about that, these two verses, I don't know what it's about. Let's keep reading it. Oh, no, we already did. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, and now you have received mercy. And right before that, the big verse proclaimed the excellencies of the one who called you from where? To? If that's not dead and resurrection, I don't know what is. Right. It's right there. It's, right. it's different words. Is Paul saying, I'm sorry, is Peter saying anything different than what Jesus does or Jesus did or Jesus said? No. Is he using different words? Sure. Yeah. But maybe he's not using different words because what does Jesus say? You are the light of the world. Lux mundi. Yeah, light of the world. Beautiful. So here's Peter. You're now in light. Called you out of darkness. So I write in our handout, it's one story that runs through all Scripture. Dead, alive, lost, found, poor, rich, hungry, fed, in chains, free, outcast, now part of a family, sick, Healed. Now that God has made you his own, given you life, clothed you, fed you, purchased you, what is your natural reaction, says Peter? Proclaim, announce, tell people the virtues, excellencies of him. If you really believe that you were in darkness, and now you were in light, and it was not of your doing, why would you not talk about the one who made it happen? So Peter's saying, plain and simple. Is being grateful to Jesus a way of living? Is it something that we struggle to do? Should we struggle with it? Or should it just be something we Christians do. 
And in a way, I try to be a philosopher when I'm not in the way that I'm saying, do we struggle with talking about Jesus and the excellencies of Him? And the answer maybe for a lot of us is yes, and maybe for a lot of us is no. I don't struggle with talking about that. But remember, in the first couple of weeks of this class, we talked about how people who are constantly, who only live in the world, act as though they live in the world because they live in the world. That's how I'm shaped. That's the mold I'm being pressed into is living in the world. So when somebody in the world commits some heinous act, we say, what else is new? They lived in the world. We have no problem thinking that way. They've been molded by the world. But then when we come into the church and we say, we proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and his marvelous light. We have a hard time being molded into that, into making that our nature, into making that second nature and saying, of course we proclaim, because that's what the church does. That's what we've been taught to do. We were in darkness and now we're in light. So we are so easy, to, we are so reticent to say, yeah, of course they did all those bad things. Look where they live. But then on the opposite side of that coin, we don't say, well, not opposite side of that coin, it's a different coin. We don't say, of course we proclaim the excellencies of him. We're the church. He called us our darkness. Of course I'm talking about Jesus. Of course I'm talking about what he has done for me. We've been shaped into a way maybe to say that there's only one way you can do this. And that way that you can do this is by bothering people, is by knocking on their doors, is by this and by that and by being a nuisance. I don't think Peter's saying that. In fact, if these people do become nuisances, they're, they're like consequences. If these people start becoming, in this era here that we're talking about in this letter, they're going to be kicked out of this community like 100%. Not just, oh, we tolerate you here. No. It's like, no, you're creating a ruckus. See you later. It's actually what the Anabaptists did after, during Luther's time. People are like, Man, at least the Lutherans are like keeping it, you know, they're keeping faithful, but they're not burning anything. And they're not, and then these other crazy guys come in and they say, no, 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 you have to burn everything. You have to break everything. You have to do everything differently. They're like, whoa, relax. In fact, we're going to talk about that a little later with government, what Peter talks about. But anyway, I'm going on a long time. I'm really curious to see what Kirby's going to say. But that's what I mean. It's, we have no problem pointing to the world and saying, of course they do that. It's the world. But then, when it comes to the church, well, yeah, we have a problem proclaiming the excellencies of him who called out of darkness into his marvelous light, but why do we have a problem doing that? Well, I was just thinking that the world, it's easy to live in the world because it caters to our nature. So there's no, but when, we move in, when we're moved, called into the light, uh, we have to practice things, we have to practice hospitality, practice mercy. Yeah. Like, those aren't, uh, we have to move out of the things that are, are, are are tainted by our sinful nature, right? Mm -hmm. So in the light, it takes work, it takes 
I don't know. You know what I mean. I, I know exactly yeah. what you mean. And actually, looking at people who are good, like we know people who are really merciful or really, um, hum I don't know. So it takes practice, like when you're children. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this might be a good time to read what Amy gave to me yesterday. I was trying to see where am I going to fit that, and it's going to fit right here. Amy came into my office, and she said, look at this. And I said, sure. And I thought it was pretty good. Something to do with margin comments, you said. Yeah. Is it one, or is I it going to be? It was one. It was one. I have to put them all in the database. Oh. C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. This might ring a bell. And I think this speaks exactly what you're talking about, Kirby. When I was a child, I often had a toothache. And I knew that if I went to my mother, she would give me something which would deaden the pain for that night and let me go to sleep. But I did not go to my mother, at least not until the pain had become very bad. And the reason I did not go was this. I did not doubt that she would give me aspirin, but I knew that she would do something else. I knew that she would take me to the dentist the next morning. I could not get what I wanted out of her without getting something more which I did not want. I wanted immediate relief from the pain, but I could not get it without having my teeth permanently set right. And I knew those dentists. I knew that they started fiddling about with all sorts of other teeth with had not, which had not yet begun to ache. <laughs> they would not let sleeping dogs lie. If you gave them an inch, they would take an L. Now, if I may put it that way, our Lord is like this, like the dentists. If you give him an inch, he would take an L. Dozens of people go to be cured of one particular sin which they are ashamed of, like physical cowardice, or which is obviously spoiling daily life, like bad temper or drunkenness. Well, he will cure it all right, but he will not stop there. That may be all you asked, but if once you call him in, he will give you the full treatment. Jesus forgives you more sins than you've got. Norman Nagel. Right. You go in for one thing or another, and suddenly he wants to forget. <gasps> you go in saying, I don't want to be a drunk anymore. And Jesus says, how about that and more? Maybe not. Maybe not. Right? Like the kid with the dentist. I don't want to be a drunk anymore, but all the other stuff I want to keep. So... I hope that didn't veer away from what you said, because I think it speaks to that. No, I just said that when we're moved into the light, we're surrounded by a lot of people that help us practicing the liturgy. It's good practice. Like, right. It, it helps. Yeah. 
I think we see but people being that do mercy so well or do um, that so well, it looks easy to us. And it's not. They've practiced for a long it's time. <laughs> yeah. You see the outcome and say, well, why can't I just be like that? Yeah. It's not that they're just, they've done it, they've learned to do that. Yeah. And we never think that way. We, we practice to drive, some of us, we practice to do so many other things, to become so good at other things, but like to practice giving somebody a hug. Or as Pastor Byans said in his study on Sunday that Milan and I also listened to, are you going to eat that cake? in that house. I don't know if how many people are here or not. Pastor Bynes visited one of his first shut-ins ever. He visited a house that had no electricity, barely any plumbing in the middle of nowhere with an old lady. Right? Well, that's the, that's the, that's the uh, twist. And the late, he goes to serve communion to this lady and the lady is blind. That's fine. I've visited um, some blind old ladies very much like this one uh, in Brazil. But the house was very different because she said, I made a cake for you. And so she puts the cake on the, and, uh, on the table. And then as he's going through the, the uh, communion liturgy, he hears some rustling on top of him. And he looks up, and of course you can see the rafters much like this. And he says he sees a dozen rats looking down at him. And then he says, do I eat this cake or not? Because, well, I don't know what's in this cake. If, there, if I can only meet, <laughs> it's the whole thing. If you see one rat in your house, you know that there's not just one rat in your house. Um, so it's the same thing. Was that easy for him? He admits absolutely not. It was his first call. It was one of his first times, first things doing as his pastor. It was difficult. So he could either say, this is too difficult, or he'd say, I got to start somewhere. And I'm going to start with this cake at this house. And so um, it's not easy, but it's possible. That's why we come in every Sunday and say, forgive my sins. Because I didn't do everything that was possible for me to be gracious, be humble, be loving, be patient. Just look at that list, the spiritual house list. What were, what were you not? And what were you? So, Another quick thing, and I don't want to spend too much time in this, but it does have to do with light. And I think I might have, I don't think I got this from C.S. Lewis, but I read something in C.S. Lewis that made me confirm this. Is light a good thing or a bad thing, generally? A good thing. Yeah, light, light, it's a good thing. Except when... There was men's Bible study here last night, and somebody said, huh, there are some crumbs on the floor from last night. Somebody right now, before this started, said, were you here yesterday? 
Why am I looking this way? Somebody, somebody, as he would say in Brazil, it slipped my throat, but not say who did it. You know, that kind of thing. But how were you able to see those crumbs on the ground? No. You couldn't see them if this place were dark. So the light, not if you don't want to see everything. If you want Jesus just to give you some aspirin and not actually cure you of the other sin sicknesses you have, then don't turn the light on. Because the light will reveal what you want revealed and what you don't want revealed. Right? That's what the light does. If you go into a room and you turn on the light and it's a room that you haven't been into and you see, oh man, wow, there's a beautiful painting and this furniture that's so nice that I couldn't see when the light was off. And then you turn over there and you see you know, a dead raccoon or something or cobwebs. Right. And you could either leave that dead raccoon there turn off the light and leave, right? So the light does those two things. We all know this. We, uh... Yeah. When he, when he says, once you are people, and now you are people, and then he very specifically mentions mercy, once you have not received mercy, but now you receive mercy, like the whole thing hinges on, is this the mercy? <laughs> like, like, that we make us hold out of that mercy? <laughs> like... Is that is mercy what made us? I mean, it's like once you were no people, now you're God's people. Once you were not received mercy, not is that? Does the mercy make us God's people, or is that the primary thing? I, I, I once you had not, you specifically had not received all the good gifts, okay. and now they're all yours so because exactly because that's what mercy is, right? It's giving freely. It's giving all the good things I have freely. Once you didn't receive it, but now you do. Because other people were supposed to receive it, but they disobeyed. So if we keep going, and we will, we will get to the end of this. Well, so in the last part, he then moves from there and says, once you had not received mercy, but you have received mercy, as Kirby said. Now, beloved, beloved, Beloved. This is not the first time he uses the word love because he says love one another earnestly. It's brotherly love. Now he says, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Where have we heard that before? Sojourners and exiles? Beginning of the letter. And why is it so strange that he's calling us sojourners and exiles here specifically at this place? What did he just call us? No, before that? Sure, sure, yes, he did. But a living race, uh, a chosen race, and a, a royal priesthood and a? If I have a nation, holy nation, why is he calling me an exile? I either have a nation or I don't. I'm either an exile or I have a nation. But now he's still using this. Wait a minute, what is he talking about, man? I book it says, dear friends. Oh, and I heard you as aliens and strangers. Exactly. So he just said, in the beginning he says exiles, and then he says, you're a holy nation. And then he says again, you're exiles. So which one is it, Peter? So let's keep, that's right. So keep reading. I said, 
exactly right. Our citizenship is in heaven. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see the good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. See your good deeds. The bottom of the sheet I gave you, with deep and sincere love, Peter wishes that his hearers live an upright life, fully understanding that they struggle and suffer. I say the word fully understanding because how does he describe the struggle? As a tussle? As a war? He doesn't say, oh yeah, this is going to be tough, like an arm wrestle. No, he says this is going to be a war against your soul. I had a quote here that I wanted to read to you that I thought I had. The cross is not a symbol for general human suffering and oppression. Rather, the cross is a sign of what happens when one takes God's account of reality more seriously than Caesar's. The cross is not general human suffering. The cross is when we take God's reality more seriously than Caesar's. So here Peter is saying, the world will expect different things from you. They'll expect you to act one way, talk one way. You will do the opposite of that. Because God's reality is taken more seriously, fully seriously, than Caesar. And guess what? People are not going to like it. They will wage war against your souls. But on the day of visit, and don't slip. I urge you not to slip up. Because if you do, those people are going to say, oh, did you see that? You guys see those people who are supposed to be the holy nation? The royal priesthood? The ones who are enlightened? Look at what they just did and said. And look at how they spoke. And look at how they hated. And look how they're fearful. Or I thought they were supposed to be. So Peter, all that he's trying to do is to protect this holy thing that is God's through this letter. He's saying, look at what God has done for you. Live, I urge you, my beloved, to live as you're still not at home. You're still sojourners and exiles. Your home is a heavenly home in the church, on earth and in heaven. So it's, this two, it's these two things that we got to take to heart. And I talked about in the beginning of the study, you know, the, what's in the life together, saying how do we live 
is can Peter talk to us in the 21st century specifically not about justification we got that down but about living can Peter's letter actually be relevant to us in the 21st century and I say absolutely because he's saying remember your exiles pick your battles in the world socially politically emotionally what are you saying that I gotta win this or else we gotta win this we gotta take this or else we're gonna crumble Peter's comfortable with saying you're all exiles you're all sojourners you're just traveling through you're just traveling through do we fight for mercy do we fight for justice when we see wrong do we call it out absolutely if we didn't we wouldn't be Christians so how do we play that game of realizing that this is not our final residence and yet being faithful and saying we're gonna show mercy we're going to show love we're going to show kindness we're going to call out and pray and wish for justice it's this it's one foot and the other we're not the Amish as I was telling the high schoolers who say hey this is our thing and whatever happens out there happens out there and I dare to say that we're also not calling for a theocracy to say everything needs to be Christian or else the president needs to be Christian Congress needs to be all Christians the, my mayor needs to be a Christian my blah, 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 blah. Or, or else that's not the real that's not what Jesus wants that's not the real church wait a minute how many Christians live in Nigeria how many Christians live in India how many Christians live in China and their governors maybe aren't Christians at all are these people's governors Christians think about that are these people the rulers in first Peter's day do they even know what Christ is all about of course not so is that what, when we say the church can only be legitimate if everybody is Christian and their grandmother and their it's like well I don't know I don't know because that's not what's going on here that's not what Peter's actually that worried about he's worried about what the church is doing and how the church is living church and how the church is a spiritual house and a living stone and who proclaims who Jesus is and what has he has done to them um, it's all about being like, intentional. Intentional about what? It's like, well, how it's saying like it's hard for us to like talk about it or how it, it needs to be second nature. The more we're intentional and think about it and choose to do it, then it becomes second nature and it's going to be easier for us to constantly live that way. Right. Intentional about, yeah, I got it. Yeah. I think you guys are on the same yeah. wavelength here. Amy and Kirby. Yeah. So that's what I have. Yes, please, Does Mrs. Butcher. The light create a mindfulness in each of us about 
how we should be, show mercy and love. Just looking back at the crumbs, if you're in the dark, you're not going to see it. In the light, you're going to see how we should be. Right. Yeah. That's right. Uh-huh. That's beautiful. So that's what I have today. We are over time, and I apologize. My clock does not match that one. Which one is right? Mine is. <laughs> we're going to get the senior pastor to fix that. So but here's what we're going to do. Next week, we are going to... It's very heavy from 13. Everything's pretty heavy because it's Peter, and he's beautiful, and he want, you know, it's dense. We're going to do 13 until who knows because there's a lot of there's a lot of be subject be subject be and the be subject does not stop at the end of verse 2 because you have be subject to the lord's sake servants be subject to your masters then he talks about wives then he talks about husbands and then all the way into the middle of uh, chapter 3 so i'm going to figure out if i'm just going to talk about that general topic of um, how, what does be subject mean to all of us in our various vocations? Um, so I think that's where I'm going to go next week. I think because that's the next big section is the be subject section. So if you'd like to read that and look at that. Thank you very much. I have so much fun here. So let us pray and let us go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.